0: Welcome back to the DC3cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. We're here to talk about comics, specifically the DC Comics released on the 11th of October, 2017. But before then, we're going to talk just two quick news items to hit this week. Uh, One of DC's longest-running creative partnerships is... uh, The partnership is not coming to an end, but the property they're working on is... uh, As of, I believe it is January, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti will not be writing uh, Harley Quinn anymore Connor will still be doing covers and uh, they said that you know Connor wants to get back to doing interior work and that yes. they've just been going for so long they want to they want a little bit of a break which I think you know obviously they've totally earned and we wish them the best um, this isn't all that much news because we don't really read Harley Quinn here but I do have a question for you guys and we'll get to the new creative team in a minute is there a creative team out there that would get you to enthusiastically read a harley quinn book
1: rob Uh, williams and jim lee (laughs) um Uh,
2: enthusiastically grant morrison and frank (laughs) quietly gerard way and
1: anyone oh now you're talking uh, Gerard Way and Cecil Castellucci, um, uh, Jerry Duggan, and Scott Cobush. <laughs> sure,
2: <laughs> no, that's just the Deadpool. Right, right, right.
1: Yeah, right.
0: It just you know it's it seems like for, at least for me it's just a character I don't want to read every month. I just I don't have much of an interest. It would take you know James Robinson and J.H. Williams (laughs) to get me to read that book um but the creative team they have announced is uh Frank Thierry and Inaki Miranda and you know I I think Miranda's work is pretty great I'm I'm not the world's biggest Frank Thierry fan especially 2017 Frank Thierry but you know I'm sure this is an interim creative team that does not strike me as the uh the new creative team for the book, and I, I think I know who they're going to try and, and get for this book. Um, I I have a feeling that they want to do a a very very big sort of splash with Har- Harley Quinn, and uh, I think they're going to want to get Joel Jones on that book, mm. which is pretty close to making me read that book if it's Joel Jones doing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and see, I I don't have anything against Harley as a character. I just think the particular spin that Palmiotti and and uh, Connor put on it wore, eventually wore out with me. Um, I mean, we got to give them credit. Like they helped turn Harley Quinn into an insanely popular character. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think their take on it was really funny for a while. I really do. I'm I'm I'm. I have a lot of admiration for, like, the direction they took Harley in and a lot of the humor. It's just that after all this time, it was something that felt like it started to repeat itself. And, I mean, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any anything... It's a lot. It is a you know, lot. Brian, and...
2: maybe you're not far off. Maybe after... Uh, Robinson's Wonder Woman gig is over. That's what he'll move on to. And he'll just make it as just raunchy and like just randy as he can. He's
1: going to have to apologize a lot, isn't
0: he? (laughs) I think you're going to say he was going to bring 61 or something. (laughs) Um, Oh man. Yeah. The other bit of news is, um, we had had heard some bad intel, or uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast, that Tom King and Jason Fabok were possibly doing a Rorschach story, and this was enough to get all of us to, uh, you yeah. know, to threaten to uh, end our lives in some violent way.
1: I had a diarrhea out... for a week, basically, yeah. is what
0: happened. <laughs> but it turns out that is not the case; that they are working on a Swamp Thing story. And according to Bleeding Cool, it will be part of a uh, one-shot that will also feature a Len Wein Swamp Thing story. So I'm totally fine with that. That could be fun. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Although it it will prevent some, like, peak (laughs) Info-Rorschach. Folks, do you want to do
1: Info-Rorschach right now?
0: Sure, let's do it. Let's bring it, yeah.
1: Unnecessary. Cowering down here in the sludge and the pollution, conjuring names on screens, learning nothing. That is unnecessary. Give me the smallest finger on a man's hand, and I'll produce information. Computer unnecessary. This face, all that's necessary, all I need. Plus, also, my Infrarorschach Vitality Mix. All right, <laughs> I'm I'm waiting for you to work a good Herm in there one of these days, but Herm, I I haven't I don't have the Alex Jones Herm yet. Herm has got to replace folks, you know, Fol- yeah. folks. Herm Herm. <laughs> Herm. <laughs> you, you, you know, my, you know my Hey, knock knock. Who's there? <laughs> Wait, this isn't a knock-knock joke. Hold on. <laughs> Who's Rorschach's favorite NFL head coach of all time? Herm Edwards. <laughs> Did I get it? That's right, yep. You got <laughs> it. I know three NFL coaches, and you need one of them. <laughs> all right. I can't believe I started that as a knock-knock joke. Bill Parcells. Knock-knock. Who's there? I, that was just Alex. I thought,
2: you, I you, I you, Is no, that no, a joke no. or a riddle?
1: Oh, no. oh man, you just blew my fucking mind.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's
0: get into the comics this week. So, uh, again, we're gonna spoil stuff. So, if you haven't read the books yet, pause the show, go read them, and then come on back. We're gonna start with um, the the new series from the Wildstorm imprint, uh, Michael Cray. Number one, written by Brian Hill, illustrated by N. Stephen Harris. Um, I honestly had no expectations going into this. I didn't know what to expect. And I came out of this really enjoying this book. What did you guys think?
1: Zach?
2: It, it leaned way more into the Green Arrow thing than I expected. <laughs> and I didn't necessarily love that.
1: I loved it. I, uh, I I know what you're saying, Zach. It definitely expectations-wise, I was like, "Wow, this is a lot of Green Arrow." <laughs> yeah. But uh, but and this kind of broke this kind of broke that thing that I've been talking about these last couple weeks with Batman, where like these alt versions of Batman that we've been seeing that are like just a few degrees different from bruce wayne and then you see how the trajectory could have gone differently you know Uh i I don't feel that with this oliver queen like to me things went really 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 wrong to get to where oliver this oliver queen is you know Mm -hmm. and yet somehow i loved the take on it and i don't know how that how that works but i'm just being honest um and the other thing that i really loved about this is that brian hill so this is brian hill with warren ellis and i don't know if i I, i'm i'm taking that to mean that warren ellis is intimately involved in the story and the general arc of what's happening in wildstorm but that brian hill wrote the script
0: Yes, if you read the actual credits in the comic,
1: based on the says, story by one, based on the
0: story by yeah, yeah. So right. I figure
1: he gave him like an outline of some sort, and then Hill wrote it from there. Yeah, like we we need to get to this point, and it's it's okay if you do these things. It's not okay if you do these things, just based on what my plan for the the Wildstorm stuff is, right? Yeah. Knowing that, I thought Brian Hill did an incredible job of the the words the script it's not Warren Ellis but the structure the feel of like the amount of words you know like I know that's that sounds weird to say right but like the pacing the amount of script that's there the way that the script is being delivered to you in in this this deliberate pace you know it felt very warren ellis it was like it was like brian hill was writing you un- dialogue that was uniquely his and very very good and he was applying it to this aesthetic of that ellis established in the wild storm and i think he fit it like perfectly
0: yeah i think even n stephen harris's artwork is obviously not the same as what we're seeing in the Wildstorm, but everything just felt like it was part of the same world. Mm-hmm. It just there there was this very clear tone that this is a Wildstorm book. What with what Wildstorm means, you know, in 2017, it, it very much felt like a Wildstorm book, and uh, I was impressed with it. I, I know a lot of people when the creative team was announced were like, "Oh, huh? Those guys? They're the ones that are going to do this." That's that's odd because. I think everybody expected Ellis to pull some really big guns in for this, and he didn't do that. He pulled in these guys that are, you know, not as much of a household name as maybe some of the other some of the folks maybe people were hoping to see on the book. But I feel like tonally they completely work within the within the uh, world of this book, uh, of this this universe. So I I really really enjoyed it.
2: I think my thing. So when this book was announced, I was a little disappointed because it kind of highlights a little bit about the new Wildstorm that I maybe haven't been as you know keen on, um, and it's really kind of like the divide that it, I think existed in the original Wildstorm books. You had the like more like cosmic. Level stuff like big, big, crazy sci-fi that Ellis kind of embodied, and then you had the more like gritty street-level type heroes that, you know, like your grifters and Ennis on Midnighter and, and a lot of that stuff, Death Below that I just really didn't care for, and Wildstorm, New Wildstorm has kind of straddled that line a little bit. It's still really kind of hard to peg it. But a lot of the, you know, a lot of those characters that I really liked haven't shown up as much. And then here, the first mini series that we get or the first book spinning out of it is focusing on Michael Cray, who's like very much in that, you know, ladder camp. Right. Um, And so this book was good, no doubt about it. Like, and it's definitely a, you know, its existence, I think, is merited and it, it Pairs well with the with the main Wildstorm book, and I think that the the wrinkle of introducing DC Universe characters and you know interesting ways, you know besides like Green Arrow getting a lot of attention here, there's an offhanded reference to Bruce, um, and so and you know we've already seen like Kent at Martian Manhunter in the Wildstorm, so I think that's like a really interesting little wrinkle, but this is again, kind of moving further away of what I wanted the Wildstorm to be, which was, you know, more, like, authority,
1: planetary-type
2: mm. things, so... And,
1: and I wonder if we don't get that at some point, because remember when this was first announced, and they were like, w-, you know, there's going to be four books or something, and one book is going to become something else halfway through? Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that second half is going to be that more of that... Uh, Cosmic type stuff that you're talking I, about. I
2: bet it probably will be, and and in that way, I feel like it kind of like tracks a little bit with the history of Wildstorm. You know, yeah, just yeah, just what it was over the course of his, its existence.
0: We've also seen a little bit in the Wildstorm of that. Like you know, of a shadow organization operating from space. So it's right, not like yeah. it, it's not like there isn't a a pathway to that in right, the books right. already. Right, For, sure. For sure. I also just want to say that um, Steve Bucchilato and Simon Boland were the colorist and letterer on both this and the Wildstorms. That is part of the uh, the the um, consistent look of the
1: books as well. Yeah, and the colors like, are really nice. Um, yeah, they're yeah. wonderful. There's a lot of a lot of scenes that pop. Um, especially near the beginning of the book, like Michael Cray's childhood and, mm-hmm. and, uh, those scenes are really colorful, uh, really, really nice stuff. Um, I, I have to say that, uh, I think so far we've gotten what, eight issues of the Wild Storms, is that right? Seven or eight. S- seven or eight. Michael Cray is the character seven, that... yes. Okay. Michael Cray is the character that I care the most about at this point, and, um... That's kind of crazy to me because I, I also have historically preferred the more uh, cosmic or otherworldly characters in The Wild Storm. But, but, man, the way that Ellis grounded him in those last few issues for us, and then the the way that Brian Hill continues to do that in this issue, I actually care more about this character than probably any other. Um I think that's really awesome. That's exciting to me that that Michael Cray is the character that that gets the feature up front. You know, before we move on to other things, I think that that's unexpected. And when and when you get stuff that's not expected, it, it makes for some really exciting. Like, here's a new book that I'm excited to read now that I wasn't expecting to be six months ago. You know, right.
0: I don't know if either of you guys read the interview with Steve Orlando that uh, Benjamin Birdie did for Multiversity at Comic-Con, but he mentions in there that Apollo Midnighter will be showing up in the Wildstorm soon. Mm-hmm. So I think we're going to start seeing, if not more of the otherworldly stuff, at least more of the uh, more of those classic like Stormwatch Authority characters showing up. Yeah. And this is a 12-issue series. I was not aware that this was going to run for a full year.
1: Mm. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. me either.
1: So let's talk about Oliver Queen for a little bit. So the, the we've kind of danced around it, but the point of his character in this is that he's basically... A um, he shithead? Yeah, yeah, like a rich shithead. But like he takes that to most dangerous game levels, where he's hunting... He's taken that the island, the famous island that always shows up in in Green Arrow lore, and has turned it into the most dangerous game, where he abducts military veterans <laughs> and does not respect the troops. Uh, or maybe he does because they make the best sport, in his words. Yep. Um, but uh, but th- that's dare I say it, that's twisted. <laughs> he he also looks. He does a press conference in this comic and he looks like he's going on the Barry Gibb talk show.
2: And <laughs> <Living in> a... <laughs> the Matt's on Broadway.
0: Yeah. Um, I I found it interesting that they you know, obviously this is a very different take on Oliver Queen, but they still give him Diggle as his assistant, which has been, you know. Started on Arrow, but has now been a thing in, in DC Comics for four or five years.
1: Andy Diggle, and, uh, how much money does he get every time they mention that?
0: I have no idea. I wonder if he gets a dime.
1: He doesn't. <laughs> I mean, he, he pretty much should, but, you know, we'll see. Um, in fact, never mind. <laughs> never mind. They drove him away from their company.
0: Well, they did that, but before they didn't Diggle. Like, yeah, that right. was, you know. I'm, I'm aware. Although, he, then he came back for the for half an issue of Action Comics, if you remember. Uh... I do remember. He was supposed to take over Action Comics
2: after... Morrison.
0: It was after Morrison. And he did, like, one issue, and then uh, he quit for, for reasons I can't remember now. But
2: Yeah, I think it was, like, weird. It, I think it was the same reason, like, every writer quit.
1: Well, that's this what was I was coming. referencing when I said they drove him away.
2: Oh, yeah. no, because he, he had left before then.
1: Okay, well, I was referencing the Action Comics time. Oh, okay, okay. Um, regardless,
0: you know, I, I, um, I think that Oliver Queen is a character that is very easy to make into a shithead because of his sort of silver spoon uh, attitude and and all of that. So this certainly wasn't breaking entirely new ground, but I thought it was a, a, a pretty, uh, like you said, Vince, it, it wasn't it wasn't just one or two degrees off from the Oliver Queen we know, but it also wasn't, this wasn't Clark Kent becoming a, a, a you know, sport hunting dickhead either. <laughs> right.
1: So there,
0: there, there, there was some uh, there was some kernel of this in the character beforehand, you know. For, for sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I find it interesting that this appears to be at least a two, if not a more multi-part, Arc about him trying to hunt Green Arrow. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: I really thought Ellis was going to stay away from, um, from all that DC stuff. But
1: it shows what I know. (laughs) See, and I think we, I think we talked about on the show how I thought it was going to somehow be in the same universe as Rebirth, just because I thought that that's what DC seem to be doing across the board but i guess i was wrong dead wrong (laughs) yeah
2: i do wonder if this is supposed to be like if i know warren ellis probably like doesn't care at all about this but i wonder if dc is like wrapping this up in you know the multiverse
0: Oh, I'm sure I'm sure it's in a multi I'm sure it's on a numbered planet so uh-huh. in some editors office they have that written down. <laughs> yeah um, but yeah so uh, let's move on then let's move on to ragman number one this is a, a six issue miniseries written by Ray Fox illustrated by the aforementioned inaki Miranda and uh, yeah.
2: This was really bad, right?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Vince, you agree? I, I agree. I do agree. Yes, I do agree. Can, can I tell you, though? I like the concept a lot.
0: I mean, the concept's not different than what the Ragman concept's been in the past. Yeah, but, like,
1: the, the, the well... what I, specific I get, part i just the the i guess i don't know what was what was ragman's thing in the past like that his father owns a thrift store and
0: that he has these like haunted rags that the souls of the people that he uh did, that were killed like exist within the rags
1: uh-huh so okay I guess I haven't read much Ragman, then. I like the concept, I guess. I didn't like this comic. Here's... I... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I didn't know if it was, like, updated for... I don't know. That seemed... I... That's more uh, complex than I thought Ragman was, but I've probably only seen Ragman in, like, fleeting appearances here and there.
0: Hmm. Um, well, you know... To me, th- there's a lot of interesting stuff you could do with this character. What drives me crazy is that this felt so much like a new 52 book. It like every beat of the origin in the first issue and give you nothing but origin. And I'm just so tired of those books. I'm just – I'm so tired of them, especially because part of the reason they're doing a Ragman book is because he's been on Arrow the la- last season. And I feel like if you're trying to capitalize on the success of his appearance on Arrow, then everyone already knows his origin. So you might as well not spend one-sixth of your book telling the the origin. Um, And origin stories are always boring. But this is especially boring because it's an origin story for a character you're unfamiliar with. And you're given no reason to care about this character
1: when you start reading the book. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm more fascinated by the realization that I've hardly read any Ragman at all. I guess. <laughs> I remember I him. Mean... In, I remember him in Blackest Night. hmm Uh, I honestly can't think of where else I've seen Ragman. He was
0: in he was in Shadow Pack. I was gonna say, did you read Shadow Pack?
1: Oh, so long ago. I barely Blue... remember. Yeah. Blue Devil and uh, uh, Detective Chimp, etc.
0: But yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's an interesting character. He's also one of the, although in his original incarnation he was Irish, but he's been Jewish since at least Crisis on Infinite Earths, if not before then. And he's he's one of the, like the first uh, Jewish American, like not obviously so many characters were created by Jews and implied to be Jewish, but he was one of the first like you know to be written a, as a Jewish character. Uh, for many many years, and that was a big part of Arrow last season, where every now and then he was like Vincent. They got this reference. He was like um, Ed Begley Jr. in A Mighty Wind, where he would just like <laughs> throw a random bit of of Yiddish into a conversation. Yeah,
1: yeah. And that
0: happened like, all the time on Arrow last year. But I, I do like the fact that they're giving you note know, that, that he has a, a distinctive uh, cultural background, and you know, uh, like you said, the idea. It's almost an idea similar to Katana's idea, right? With the, having the, the soul of her husband in the in her sword. It, it's similar to that, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And they could do a lot of fun stuff with this character. This is just not a very fun book at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I am hoping that maybe future issues will be once they get past the origin nonsense, but we'll see. I don't know. I thought Moran His art was fine.
1: Yeah, I did. I mean, that's. I guess that's part of what I thought. What I meant when I said, like, I like the concept too. Like, I like how Miranda, towards towards the end, almost draws Ragman like a Spider Man esque character, you know? And for a bit, I thought, like, oh, there's something here that I would want to read, you know? It's just not. Not in this issue, for sure. Like you said, it was pretty boring. But, like, that design... I, I, I'd i read a character that looked like that and has that concept. They just gotta write it with a little more pop. Yeah. 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 Any other thoughts on this book? This is a really minor thing, but I, I think the best thing about the issue is the little uh, credits... Little thing with little logo, like the Ragman logo, Chapter One, Return Fire. Uh-huh. Like that to me was like throwback in a really nerdy design. Like I'm a sucker for those little design things. Yeah, so am I. Yeah, and I, I liked that, but that has nothing to do with the the narrative of the book. So, <laughs> so what kind of a compliment is that, really?
0: Well. Let's jump ahead then to Dark Knight's Metal number three, which of course is written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Greg Capullo. Uh, this issue sees uh, Batman missing, and Wonder Woman and Superman looking for them, looking for him. It also has uh, a scene that Scott told us about on the show with uh, Robin and uh, and John Kent playing guitars, and. Uh, playing the, the Batman 66 theme and, like, a metal version of it. <laughs> Which is just delightful.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, that was fantastic. Yeah. I love I love that... Um, I love the way that Capula drew Damien's hair there. Like, yeah. Like, that would be Damien's haircut if he were a heavy metal guitarist. <laughs> it's almost Scott Snyder's haircut. Oh, boy.
2: Oh, you're right. You know and this is maybe getting a little bit maybe not too much but into the issue a little bit
0: dive in dude I,
2: well i just think we've been talking so much about the like morrison connections because obviously you know this is very much built on final crisis and return of bruce wayne stuff but just the importance of music and oh, not, yeah. it wasn't even that important, but it was like a small plot point, you know. Darkseid hated music, yeah. Um, and this whole event is built around a, a type of music, really. Um, and the way that music is incorporated into this issue, I thought was really good.
0: Yeah, this is
1: this is this remains to be the most fun event DC has done in a very long time. Definitely, it is wild how like how fun it is like the the stuff where they're in the bar and they're the villains are like playing the jukebox and like yeah like that is a half step away from jack nicholson's joker dancing to prince while they rob a (laughs) a, an art gallery you know and like it's in so many other writers and artists hands that could be so corny
2: i mean you think about how much of this issue was just exposition
1: but, I, I actually didn't... I, I guess it didn't occur to me that it was. Yeah,
2: the, yeah, that's what I, I'm kind of getting at. They mask it so well. Like, the whole bar scene uh-huh. is really just a whole bunch of people sitting around yeah. and, like, <laughs> downloading that's, the plot into your brain.
1: That's true, but it's also fantastic. Like, there's stuff going on in the background. It's Exactly. It's yeah. funny. You've got, like, Detective Chimp cracking jokes and... Even like when Superman is fighting the the Dark Knights, they're
0: they're saying a lot to him. There's one panel; it's like all all text from the Batman who laughs.
1: Yeah, and I love how the um, the essentially the plot MacGuffin is like these three metal uh, repositories that they have left. Steel's mm-hmm. hammer. Doctor, Doctor Hates, uh, Doctor Fate's helmet and the Plastic Man egg. Yeah, and I love how the, there's these like three MacGuffins that they need to get to these various places, right. and it's it's such a simplistic like, uh, you know, kid playing with action figures type thing, and yet that's exactly what we need. I feel in these events, you know, like I yeah. think big events should be kids playing with action figures. Yeah,
2: and we we still have no idea what that plastic man egg is for
1: well plastic <laughs> like, man is clearly is man inside man it an
2: egg? well yeah but like why is plastic man in an egg he's and incubating why, and why is it made of nth metal
1: because mama, not, mama plastic like, crit- laid him <laughs> oh
2: my goodness. i'm not even like critiquing it it's just like you know here's this like crazy plot point that we still have like no context for but it's just all right plastic man's in a metal egg let's you- go
1: You and I both know that the government is keeping secret (laughs) weapons housed in plastic putty eggs. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I also, I
0: love, I'm such a sucker for when the Justice League bails each other out in situations. Mm, mm -hmm. And like the Flash literally running in and saving Superman is such a small thing, but I love that stuff. Absolutely. to me
1: that feels like classic dc just goodness right there I, I love how this became a superman saves the day story uh that had a twist at the end but like for a while it was like oh this story is going to be you know it started as a batman story and now it's a superman saving batman story and then that that gets twisted on its head at the end but uh but for a while, it was feeling like that, and that's exactly what you're what you're saying. You know, it's now it's Superman bailing Batman out. Yeah. But then I thought that the way that they tricked Superman was really, really fun. Yeah. With that like secret code,
0: which reminded me a little bit of that great <laughs> Grayson Future's End issue
1: uh-huh. with
0: the Clue Masters code. Yes. Uh, it's not at all the same, but just. I...
1: I thought you were going to say it reminded you of the Adam West Batman that you always talk about. C, the C. Oh, C C for Catwoman? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I do love that also.
0: Yeah. Uh
1: Batman yeah. 66. That was uh just rid of a bomb. <laughs> Part of me kind of wished that uh the Batman who laughs went up to the jukebox and said uh I have a song I'd like to play for you, and then he came out in a gigantic, oversized suit, <laughs> and started dancing to, yeah, <laughs> Talking Heads. Everybody, it's for the kids out there. I wish, I wish they played. Uh, he played
0: "Twisted" by uh, the member Giants. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, all, right. all right, let's see what else happens in this issue. That that's cool. I I just want to say I think Capullo. Did such a great job. Capilla didn't get to draw too many like of the non-Bat family members uh, while he, of the DC universe while he was drawing Batman, but I really like his Superman in particular. Here it was. Um, he definitely gives Superman like that gr- the gritty, gruff, like uh, you know, he he definitely looks a little bit tougher than we see Superman sometimes look, but he's not like a dark and uh, and brooding Superman either. He's very heroic. He's very uh, Demonstrative with his, with his smile. It's just I don't know. I I really enjoyed this his take on Superman.
1: Yeah, How? I did too. I like his Wonder Woman as well.
2: Um, this is like totally off topic of Capullo's art, but I get I guess not necessarily because, I, I mean he does draw him this way in the issue, but I don't I don't know that he nec- he might have designed the character. I don't know. But how surreal is it that, like, we have an editor's box that has the words Jon Snow Nightwing?
0: I was going to mention that, too. Yeah. Described it to us when he was on the show. But still, it's different to be describing it in an interview that way versus to have it, like, you know, essentially as
2: canon that way. Yeah. (laughs) Whoa. Like, we're probably going to get a Jon Snow Nightwing action figure. That's going to be a thing.
0: I will buy it. I won't, but I appreciate it. Um, we get our uh, our aforementioned detective chimp appearance in this uh, in this book,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is you know dope. Yep, and he's gonna be part of that that new uh, one shot that's happening in February yeah, next year,
2: Dark Knight's Rising. Which I mean, with those two things, I can I feel like we're just like a few steps away from some kind of like Shadow packed reboot. <laughs> you know like yep. it's gotta happen
1: we keep, we we've keep seen a lot more
2: Zatanna
0: we've seen a lot more Zatanna as of late so yeah make it happen DC we're here for you Written we also Deathstroke show
1: up oh
0: uh, yeah hey I, I loved his Gotham by Midnight stuff
1: it was great yeah, yeah that was great I really enjoyed that
0: um, but yeah uh, we get Deathstroke showing up here too <laughs> Which is pretty awesome. That
1: was a gr- oh, that was a great moment. How great was that? Yeah. Like, what was it? One of the uh, one of the little robins, the creepy little robins, comes screeing across the the bar, yes. and like the sword comes flying through and hits him in the mouth, and it's like, <laughs> who threw that? And it's de- you know Deathstroke. <laughs> It, it was and like it's... it was like Kramer coming in the door in an episode of Seinfeld <laughs> it doesn't
0: right. feel it doesn't feel like they're shoehorning Slade in here either like it just it was a very natural moment
1: yeah this job it'd pay right yeah <laughs> always, always looking for that coin
2: <laughs> no no one's making good on my defiance invoices
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <sighs> uh
0: it's also like I love the idea of a um dr fate Hawkgirl, Wonder Woman team up a plastic man mr terrific green Lantern team up and an Aquaman deathstroke team up like and of Superman steel flashing those those groups that break up later mm-hmm. yeah I, I won't read you know like miniseries but well, all those I was gonna characters.
2: say like I feel like in any other you know prior dc event like you go to that page that you know has each panels a different team up like each one of those would be a a six issue miniseries you know yeah
0: i would rather to be honest i'd rather those be the one shots than the various batmen yeah
2: but did you notice how like this issue only made reference to story beats from the the um like the dark Knight issues that we've gotten Mm-hmm. So far, mm-hmm. like it specifically mentioned the red death and cyborg ones, not so much the green lantern one, but like, it really didn't touch on anything that, you know, may happen in the, in the upcoming ones, which I thought was interesting.
0: Yeah. This event seems very well planned out in that way. Yeah, it does. Um, and then of course at the end we find out that it's uh, it's a trap But I just want to say also, I loved the shot of Superman and Barry taking off to run, which, you know, mimics that famous cover of them racing. Yeah, Um, I I really enjoyed that. But yeah, we we find out that Superman has been deceived, that he is needed to essentially be the engine to bring the Dark Multiverse to Earth. And uh, yeah, this is a really fun issue.
1: Yeah, this is such a good. I can't slobber on this issue any more than I already have. <laughs>
0: um, and you uh, so, know, we're not getting an issue of Metal next month. We are getting the Batman Lost one shot, and uh... And, and we this was not we did not get another Metal tie-in this week, did we? This was the only one. No, yeah, that was the only one. one. Yeah, so next week we get the, is it the Drowned? I believe it's called, which is the Aquaman Batman. I believe we get that one, and we also get the beginning of the next, um, like the Justice League's tie-ins, or is that that might have to be December? I'm not sure. I can't remember when all these tie-ins happen, but yeah, it probably I'd...
2: won't be next week because we just got. I think Flash is the first issue of that, and we just got that this week,
0: right? So it's two weeks from now. Okay. Yeah, no, I
2: think. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well. um – we're now going to tackle the two books that deal with Mr. Oz this week, uh, Action Comics and Detective Comics. We'll start with Action because we're going to have more to say about Detective, I'm sure, so we'll save that for a bit. But um, Action Comics 989, illustrated by Victor Bogdanovic, written by Dan Jurgens. Um, what do you guys
1: think of this issue? Um, well, first of all, Bogdanovic's back, which I uh... – He's been. Has he missed an issue here? or well, had he the last,
2: last one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Man, he's good. <laughs> I love his art. Um, so there's that. Uh, the other thing is, I thought this uh, stuff with the the guy who comes in with a gun. Mm-hmm. The what's his um, what's his name? Did he have a name? Um. He yeah. did. I don't remember. Anyway, yeah. I thought that was really, you know, sometimes comic companies or media companies like delay episodes or delay issues for things that like closely mimic the the real world. But I guess like we have enough mass shootings these days that like <laughs> you can't really delay this out any, you know, when he ran in with the gun and like the people were screaming and you heard, you saw the gunshots, I was like, Ooh, Like, he comes in the door, and there's, like, people laying on the ground. Yeah. Am I getting too real here? I mean, it's... Um, but I, I think that's, you know, that there's something true to that, right? So, yeah,
2: um,
1: so that was, that was interesting, and then, um, you know, Superman getting to see the horrors of the world again, and, uh, uh... Yeah, I, I like Steve it. Lombard getting shot. That was weird, and they treated it with almost no like. like yeah. you know, nobody went over and was like, "Steve, are you okay?" He's like, oh, an asshole. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fine, finally somebody shot that bastard. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, I I want to point out that uh, the, the the I texted you guys this, and this is really pedantic, but Juergens has the character say. Uh, you know, because he's coming out against the fake news, right, in the yeah. world. And he calls it the pabulum and falsehoods mm-hmm. that they're trying to anesthetize us with. And uh, I'll have everybody know that pabulum means food or sustenance. And pabulum is the word that Jurgens was actually looking for. So DC, hire me. I will read all of your books. I do it anyway. <laughs> I'll sort those things out for you. Speaking of being a
0: pedantic asshole, I um, I was watching The Flash last night or two nights ago rather, and at one point, uh, Cisco says to Caitlin, "Come on, you're smarter than this. You have two you have two doctorates and a PhD." Oh.
1: And
0: them, them, <laughs> what? And I was like, that is such an easy thi- thing for somebody for like a script assistant to catch. There's yeah. no reason that uh, that a network television show should have that error in it.
1: Yep, absolutely. That's somebody just yeah, yeah.
0: That's pretty oh, bad. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know this this issue was okay. I like Bogdanovics art a lot, but I feel like this is Jor El is one of those characters that has literally never been back. Right. This is this is the first time we have seen Jor that didn't blow up on, on Krypton, Krypton, if you will, and uh, <laughs> I, I I just feel like if you're gonna bring this character in. And do a story with him. You've got to make it more interesting than Earth doesn't deserve you, because that's like every third Superman story involves that, and it just feels very samey in that way. I don't know if you guys agree or not.
1: I mean, yeah, but I'm 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 having a lot of fun with it anyway. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's. <sighs> it's weird what this story is trying to be because on one hand it does it kind of makes sense as this like prelude to doomsday clock because it's you know very like current political situation you know you have um you know government people you know rulers using um chemical weapons on their own people you have mass shootings you've got um the whole fake news thing, but it's also this, like, weird new Krypton-esque feeling story. You know? I don't know.
1: I kind of flipped for that last page. Yeah. I want there to be a new Krypton. Krypton. Yeah. Krypton.
2: But you know what? Like, so we, when we got our review copy, you, you know... We, all, we flipped this last page and looked, and I, I hadn't really read it yet, but now like, I'm reading the dialogue, and like you know, he says, this is Bliss, John. I really think this is just some like weird made-up planet that Jurgens has come up with called Bliss with a bunch <laughs> of super people, and it has like literally no bearing on anything else.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's I, what I
0: think this it is. Se- it seems fake. Yeah. I 100% agree with you, Zach. I don't think this is going to be New Krypton at all. Now, when I first saw it, I just saw young people flying, and I was like, oh, Legion. Yeah, but no, right. it's not Legion.
2: Yeah, it's probably not that either. It's probably not either of the cool things that we want it to be. Yeah, um, right,
0: right. So... But, it's Drogonzia. But <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Come visit Drogonzia.
1: Every one yeah. of those characters will tell you their backstory and what they're feeling at any given time.
0: Yep. Every, every single person introduces themselves by giving you their lineage. <laughs>
1: you
0: know? <laughs> I am Brian, son of Vincent and Lois of the County of Bergen. Like it's every every person is, is that way. <laughs> oh, fucking jergens.
1: Um I, We we still just keep getting teased with these these ideas that maybe they're gonna go back to an idea of new Krypton, you know? There I I just I just feel like all of this is just it's see, little...
0: personally, I never see them going back to that. Oh, jeez. I like, well, like it. It, it. It wasn't that well-received. Let's remember uh... that. that It was it, the sort of common consensus that it was okay, but then it went on forever, and it should have wrapped up sooner. Um, it was during a time when continuity was, was so much different than it is now. Even though Rebirth would bring a lot of that back, like to bring back New Krypton would take a lot of... of uh, Heavy heavy lifting in that sense, so I'm I just don't know what the uh, I don't know how they would make that happen. I don't. I will be shocked if we get anything new Krypton ever again in DC Comics. Uh, yeah, prove All me right. wrong. Prove me wrong. But yeah, is there uh, anything else to say about this issue?
1: Well, I don't think so.
0: Yeah. Well, here is a book I think we're going to have a lot more to say about. And that is Detective Comics number 966. Written by James the Fourth, Illustrated by Eddie Barrows. You know, there, there's a lot of good stuff in this issue, but we have to jump right to it. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: this issue has the first mention of Connor Kent since pre-Flashpoint. And uh, it was done in a way that was really interesting. It was uh, essentially future Tim saying, Told Connor you're sorry and Tim saying wait who's Connor and it just it, it, I don't know about you guys that scene got me
2: oh it was good that's like that was so unexpected and so well played and just the shock on both of their face like the you know oh it was so good and so this plays back into what we were talking about with the last issue. You know, we were talking about who this Tim is, and Brian, you said something like, "Oh, the, isn't this the the Jeff Johns like future Tim?"
1: That was and, that was Vince actually. Oh,
2: was it Vince? Okay, yeah. sorry.
1: Put some um, respect on my name.
2: Uh, but now I'm I mean, just kidding. like you, you nailed it though. Like that's that's like who this is, right?
1: Like, yeah.
2: One hundred percent. Now.
1: Yeah,
0: and uh, which, it rules. Which I think does not necessarily preclude it from also being the Tim and Batwoman.
2: Right, right. I don't. I, I think you're right.
0: I, I think that, that both of those ideas can coexist.
2: I think so, too.
0: I, I think the one we've written out, thankfully, is the Juergens penned uh, Batman Beyond <laughs> Tim Crick. Yes. Yeah. Which
1: nobody ever – if you're doing Rebirth, you never need to revisit that again. Yeah. Right. No reason to. Um, I guarantee
0: that's revisited before New Krypton.
1: <laughs> god fuck you so hard man <laughs> um you know but right.
2: now you know i brought up last time that teen titans super sons crossover thing do you think that leads more to the possibility that this could be that tim drake too that I mean this that batman
1: i still don't think so I I don't don't think why they would
2: two two Batman of tomorrow that two that's closely together and I think it would I could see how John existing and Connor not could be Mm. an impetus for him to target John.
1: See yeah. I think Zach, I think your logic is perfectly sound and I could totally see that happening. But after this issue, I also don't see this as a character that, quote-unquote, hangs around for a while. Agreed. You know, so I see both sides of it, and I think...
2: Uh, See, I think he can. I think he could hang around for a while.
1: I think he's got some legs. I think that would be... I don't know if I'd like that. You know what? The only way that I would like that is if... Oh shit, dude! You might be right. What well, because
2: I don't know. I don't know how else this like next arc of detective is gonna go.
1: What if, if that's he's
2: not around?
1: What if that's the way that, like, in action comics where we had the, um, two two sides. The of Su- yeah, the two sides of Superman. Like, what if that's how the merging happens here? Ah, oh, that'd be interesting. And, and that's how they bring back Connor Kent, and have it still make sense and have it there be some context for a tim drake that he knew and i'm i'm gonna i've been liking detective a lot more than i liked action when it was doing all that stuff Mm -hmm. but i'm gonna say the same thing that i said back then which is that i want them to get to the point where we can have connor kent back and we can have everything merged and finalized but i don't know if i want to see the way that that sausage is made agreed yeah <laughs> you know yeah, i don't know this
2: is already so much better it is it, than it superman yes superman reborn
1: it apps i agree 100% it's it is much better it's more emotionally sound it's uh, the total package is better everything surrounding it is better it's just a more quality book than than action is or was at the time but uh and this is coming from a guy who, who likes action well enough um, yeah.
2: yeah yeah i mean it's it is perfectly reasonable to think that like the the batman over and uh the super sun's crossover is going to be like the future Damien comeback for whatever reason but yeah. it just seems it seems weird
1: i think you sold it to me just now and i don't but i don't know if i like that
0: <laughs> well, we'll see uh, I do want to talk about Damien for a second here I loved the sequence in this book when future Tim is telling current Tim why he's Batman when he goes through like Dick was Batman but he had to move on
1: mm-hmm.
0: Jason yeah, I, I gave the reasons why the other Robins wouldn't wouldn't have made sense as Batman
1: oh Jason's made me sad
0: yeah yeah I, th- I thought it was i thought it was a very well written sequence yeah
2: we also got another hypertime nod in this yeah. issue yep which actually is the thing that i thought that you the thing in the dialogue that you were mentioning
1: oh uh, no when i
2: got to it i was like oh okay cool hypertime nod but then when i got to the real thing i was like oh <laughs> that's so much better <laughs> splooge yeah <laughs> um good <laughs>
0: Now here's my question: The uh, we're seeing this scene from Tim's like future here, when Superman is talking to Tim on the like in the Batcave. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Is that Connor? I think so.
1: I think so too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I didn't even think
1: about that. He should have been wearing a leather jacket. Yeah,
0: because it, it, the reason I think it is is because if it wasn't, there's no reason why he would have started the conversation by saying, Tim, it's Superman. It was a Tim, it's Clark, but but they but they don't want you. They want you to think it's Clark. Well, but it's it, really it, doesn't
1: doesn't he say stu- doesn't he say touchdown or something, which is hold on to keep talking amongst yourselves. He says the, yeah, t- the Batman.
2: He says he says another touchdown won't do it yeah that's
1: that a, you... that's a Connor Kent thing really yeah really yeah absolutely
2: oh man <sighs> well,
1: Connor Kent uses the word touchdown to hold on a second. <laughs> he I mean, I'm believe- editing
0: Wikipedia right now to put this in there. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> he uses the word "touchdown" to refer to one of his tactics, a word used by the future Connor Kent to describe his actions.
0: Wow, well, I was not aware of that.
2: Yeah. I feel like we just broke Zach. <laughs> I just like can't believe that we're getting this. You know. Yeah. I mean, oh, I
1: knew you'd flip for it. Tanya is just doing, doing the the great sources work here. Like I feel like this is—I mean, I've read, I've heard him say this in an interview or two, but like you really feel it too. I feel like this is him. He got detective. He got to write this team, but then somehow, he also gets to write all the stuff that he loved from when he was younger and reading comics. Yep. You know, like this really feels like I guess Juergens is getting to do the same thing in action, except the difference is Juergen also wrote Juergens also wrote those comics that Juergens liked when he was younger.
0: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah.
1: Juergens is Juergens favorite creator. Yeah. That that Jurgens that Juergens liked is coming back into style.
2: Yeah. Oh, he used to he used to love Jergens. <laughs> but he misses the old Jergens.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Straight from the gold Jergens.
0: <laughs> you to bust that rap out again sometime, Vince.
1: I uh, figure out what episode it was in and just splice it in here. No, I I had shit to do. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, no, this is this is a great issue. I, I feel like this is this is an issue that sort of does all the things that I don't really like it when issues do, which is have like a, a flashback that doesn't really serve a purpose for the story. It, it made Batman even more overprepared than he normally is. But all those things just worked in this issue. Be- I think because of that Connor Kent emotional tether, it just really, really worked.
2: I'm going to – like, this to me, for me – and I don't even have, like, that big of a Connor Kent attachment, but just, like, what he represents. This is, for me, the biggest moment of rebirth so far since – the wally west reveal in in the rebirth special and Uh maybe like even more important to me than that
0: oh it's not more important than that to me but but i appreciate that yeah part of that is generational i think
1: too i think so yeah yeah i won't be satisfied until bibbo's back
2: (laughs) bibbo was back wasn't he bibble like, was
1: meant bibble was issue? mentioned bibble was mentioned right
2: i thought he was in the first like arc of superman
1: oh i don't remember i mean maybe, to maybe me right to me bibble never left <laughs>
0: that's, that's, that's a whole other story <laughs> he was in my heart vince yeah yep i got
2: it i got it my heart. yep
0: uh, I do want to say, I want to give Eddie Barrows a shout-out here for the different bat costumes he did.
1: Hmm.
0: Like, I love that Dick's bat costume has a blue bat in the middle of it, like his Nightwing uh, costume would have. And, uh, yeah.
2: It all, yeah. It all looks good, except for, like, still, when he does, like, the painterly style and the faces there's some kind they're still a little weird sometimes there's a lot of uh, when you nut
0: faces that he does uh, <laughs> with, uh, specifically with Tim in the in the in the Robin costume like his mouth is just wide open a lot of times and because he has the white eyes it just looks like he's uh like in in ecstatic bliss you know yeah <laughs> when you nut <laughs> You're the one who uses that meme more than anyone else. So don't, don't uh
1: so on the very <laughs> last on the very last page when uh, Tim Batman is crying that that's when he nuts.
2: <laughs> oh. Uh. This comic's too good for us. It is. Yeah, it we, is. we don't it, deserve it. Yeah, yeah,
1: we don't deserve it. It's it's oh man. The uh, my favorite tweet involving the uh, porg from the new Star Wars trailer was when you nut, and it's the picture of the porg screaming. <laughs> 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 it's FYI. Oh. Keep
0: sharing that. <laughs> uh, I'm dropping something into our Skype window here, guys. Just you know. oh boy, it's, it's, not so picture, it's not a picture. It's not a picture of you what? nutting, is it? No, it's not. <laughs>
2: What? I
1: just... <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Right yeah, it's, it looks like he's nutting. You're right.
2: Exactly. <laughs> I, just, I just got a notification that said, Brian wants to send you when you nut picture.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like on Scrubs where they have the gong that they bang whenever they have sex.
0: <laughs> exactly. All,
1: all my Scrubs fans out there. You know,
0: you ain't no Superman.
1: Oh, look what you did. Look what you made me do. Taylor Swift.
0: (laughs) Thanks for annotating that for us. I appreciate that. All right, we got to get back on track here. Let's take a break. uh, We'll be back in just a minute with hopefully less nut conversation.
2: Hello! We're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations, like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick, so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice.
0: All right, guys, we're going to do a little bit of a rapid-fire round here because we have a lot to get through. There's so many books this week. So, so many books this week. So uh, unless somebody particularly wants to go more in-depth with something. We're just going to do like one sentence, two sentences each, something like that for each of these books. So first up, we have Back on the Birds of Prey, written by the Bensons, illustrated by Roach Antonio. Uh, there's a virus that only affects men that leads to all the female characters in the DC Universe essentially teaming up together. <laughs> Any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I really dug... Um... <laughs> I dug uh, the little scene Amanda Waller getting involved again. We don't get to spend much time with her, so I'm glad to <laughs> no. see her in another book.
2: Also no.
0: Pr- Professor Pig is back again. Yep, I was gonna say that too. Yeah, he's then...
1: back, he's good again. <laughs> a Gotham Girl's back, I forgot she was a thing. I yeah. uh... but I have to say like this is this is a great example of like comic books are wrestling mm-hmm. because as much as like this book like we've said before, it's not bad, but it's not great. And as not great as it is, like towards the end when all these like female characters are just throwing their hats in the ring
0: and my axe,
1: yeah, I'm just like I'm sitting here going, yes, <laughs> like who else can we pile in here? And then of course the final page reveal is Wonder Woman, and I'm like, comics are wrestling. This is yeah. this is great.
0: <laughs> Again, I feel like Gotham Girl hasn't been around in forever. I don't I don't I don't know what the last time we even saw Gotham Girl was. I think it's weird that spoiler is back with the detective team. We um, said, yeah,
1: we said that last time too. I think that happened in this book.
0: Yeah, it yeah. did. But, you know, it's fine.
1: Yeah, who cares? Who cares? All
0: right, uh, the Flash number thirty-two, written by uh, Josh Williamson, illustrated by Christian Duce. This is my favorite of the stories since we had that arc with the Shade.
1: Yeah. I agree. Um, I think the stuff with uh, Barry and Wally is really great. And I love how it ends with Barry kind of being like, we're good as Flash and Kid Flash, but we're not good as Barry and Wally yet. Yeah. And I thought that that dynamic really worked. Um, I really
0: like Duce's work specifically on Wally in this issue. I would love to see him do more with that character.
2: Yeah. Yeah. This issue seemed um, to definitely be about looping back around to plot threads from the first arc. You know, we see August Hart again. We have the last page reveal of um, uh, Mina. Mina, yeah. Um, So, I mean, I think that's good. I think it's time to revisit some of those things. It feels like the right time.
0: Yeah, the uh, the stuff in um, Iron Heights was like really super, uh, like leaning into the idea that villains can't be rehabilitated, which is which is a, a really harsh take for a comic to, to to profess. But it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be taken as this guy knows what he's talking about. You were supposed to be aghast by what he was saying. Yeah, so, so I think it worked in that regard.
2: Yeah, the bit about like. Them still wearing their costumes and everything. Like, that was a little. Yeah, that was.
0: I mean, that's such a comic book reason. Like, you, you still want to show. is how do you determine Captain Cold's Captain Cold if he's not wearing his costume or carrying his Cold gun? So, right. like, again, you need a way around that. So, okay,
1: they never take their costumes off because it reminds them of who they were. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I suppose another angle to that would be that the, uh, the the prison warden here is very clearly Sheriff David Clark. And uh, and because David Clark never takes his costume off when he's walking around, including all the fake ass buttons and medals that he wears all the time, uh, I suppose that's fitting. Um, I wonder if this guy ever had somebody die in his prison because of uh, dehydration or negligence or, um, you know, I can play- guarantee he did. <laughs> yeah. <sighs>
0: Alright, that brings us to Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 30, written by Robin Diddy, illustrated by Patch Searcher. Uh, I thought we were dumb with this storyline of Superman and Sinestro, <laughs> but...
1: Oh, I thought we were too.
2: Apparently we're not. Well, this was a bit of a bait-and-switch, because like, the solicits made it sound like that's what the focus was when Really this is a Hector Hammond joint. Right.
1: That's true. Man, talk Hector Hammond it. is so creepy. I
2: was like, talk about a guy with a perpetual
0: nut face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> is that because his whole head looks like a nut?
0: I mean look at look at that last page, man. It's yeah. It looks like
1: it looks like a nut face though on a nut sack.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> It's a story within a story. It's, it's lots of layers here. Layers to this onion. Exactly, yeah.
1: Yeah, this didn't do anything for me. No.
0: I I, I will say I like the idea of uh, how, again, like, you know, the, the key to my heart is Justice League friendships. The fact that Hal was like, let's finish our business so we can get lunch together. Like, we don't get to hang out often enough. I love that shit. Love it. Love when the super friends are friends. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to find something positive here, guys. Um,
2: <laughs>
0: Good effort. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> uh, just League like of America number 16, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Felipe Watanabe. Um, when this issue started, I was afraid it was going to be an entire issue of this Aaron's uh, backstory.
1: Yes. I, I was not pleased. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, here we go again. Like, <laughs> yeah. we, we saw it from one person's perspective, and now we'll see it from another. I mean,
0: to be fair, that is what we got. It,
1: it, it is. But, but
0: it, it wasn't just from his perspective.
1: Right. And it was, yeah. And it was actually pretty compelling, whereas I didn't think the... The stuff from the previous issue, where it went back to, um, you know, when the atom arrived here, uh, what it was just not as compelling as what we got here. Yeah, I thought the I fight. Still... I I felt the fight at the end was more visceral than anything in the last issue. Like I, I appreciated that. Uh, I still don't think it was great. No, I, I still feel like there's
0: these both these issues are totally unnecessary. Yeah, They're like each of them could have been a four panel description of something, a uh, four panel, you know, trip down memory lane, and then we can move on to actual story. But
2: yeah, exactly that reason- what'd you think? I like. Uh, We're. <laughs> I don't think this is great pacing. We we're, we're so this is what like a 5 6 issue arc and we've had a two issue flashback kind of catching us back up to a cliffhanger from a few issues ago. Uh,
1: yeah, I completely agree. Not it's, enough Lobo. The, the yeah, no Lobo, yeah. The first issue or two of this Panic in the Microverse arc was like <laughs> exactly what I want out of a JLA book where everybody gets their moment. Lobo gets a moment to be funny. Uh, it, it, there's like a surprise at the end of the issue, you know? And these last two issues have just not been... They've been the complete opposite of that. They've been hyper-focused on details that we don't necessarily need. Um I love when Steve Orlando goes big, um, and I don't know if the, the these last couple issues did it. This one was this one was a little better than. Like I thought the last one was a bit of a snooze. This one I could I got through and I appreciated things about it, but. Yeah,
2: I, I agree with you, but. Yeah. This this arc is a little. It's not what I expected, really. I don't know. So-
0: this is slightly off-topic, but I promise it comes back around. Um, so I have a friend who's never seen a Star Wars movie, but saw The Last Jedi trailer and wants to watch Star Wars movies now. And so uh, I was like talking with him about how he should go about this, and I, I essentially said that all Star Wars movies break down into two categories – Movies that ask questions, movies that answer questions. And the prequels in Rogue One and Han Solo are movies that answer questions. Like, what was a young Han Solo like? How did those Death Star plans get stolen? How did Adam Skywalker become Darth Vader? They don't really ask questions. They just answer questions from the other movies. And I feel like this arc is all answering questions instead of asking questions. But it's all answering the questions that no one cares about. It's not... It's not going for the big picture stuff. It's like, well, how did this character that we don't really care about turn into this character we don't really care about? Let's do an entire issue about that. If that's, to me, that's, just, that's not compelling comic book reading.
1: Hmm.
0: I, I want it to be asking bigger questions and doing doing more to push along this overall story than to fill in all the little pieces of this one character's backstory. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to Mr. Miracle, number three, written by Tom King, illustrated by Mitch Gerards. And uh, this was uh, – I would say this was the most Tom King issue of this book.
2: <laughs> I, I would agree with you, but, man, I still think this is so good.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it is very good. I think it's good, too. This is my least favorite of the three, but I still think it's very good.
2: I think the stuff with Bug was really good. Yes. And I love how he doesn't fit, you know, in, like, in style. Like, he is this... He looks like he looks in, you know, the very manic Mike Allred series, and he's just been, like, planted into this book and i think it's interesting how he's never actually in the same panel as scott
0: right so you never know if he's actually there or not
2: right
1: yeah that's a really good observation that's that's awesome i didn't realize that
2: well okay i take it back he is in one panel with him now that i'm looking through
1: the last
2: panel that when light ray shows up
1: yeah oh i see yeah Yeah, but still the effect is, yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, I thought the opening pages to this comic were some of the eeriest images I've ever seen in comics, (laughs) where they're cutting off Granny Goodness's head. Yep. Um, And I love that. I love that it is horribly gruesome and disgusting. But it's there's like a fuzz over it. There's like that fuzzy stuff that we saw from the first issue, like the um, TV static or whatever like the TV static or VHS like wobbly. And that sort of th- that and the like color filters takes away from the pure gore or the, like the gruesomeness, but it applies an additional, eeriness to it it's a really unsettling uh uh, uh
0: s- series of images i mean it shows you that like you know it's what the it's what it doesn't show that is the matters in some ways yeah like the, the the
1: obstruction of all of that is what partially what makes it so creepy hey, can i suggest something too Sure. Maybe this is obvious, but or maybe I'm just crazy. But towards the end of that sequence of cutting off her head, like in that very last panel, uh, where they're holding her head up, and then the next one is Scott in bed saying "Merry Christmas." Mm-hmm. Is is Granny Goodness's face in that like almost merging with Scott's? cuz like at that point it looks like she has like facial hair and like it's like not the same face that we've seen in previous panels.
2: I see what you're saying, yeah. You know I what don't I mean? Know.
1: I might be crazy, like it just might be the way that they I scribbled all over it, but then it cuts to him in bed, you know, and I just feel like yeah, is he feeling a part of him in that I don't know. That don't could just know. be me. that could just be me. I could see that.
0: I think the the grand, the uh, oh, grand go goodness ahead. sorry the grand is the most Tom King thing ever. Yeah, uh, that was my least favorite part of this issue.
2: Hmm. There are uh, two things in this issue that I really really liked, um, and they were kind of. Well, the first one was, I think, a, a Tom King thing, but I did really like it. It's when um, it's the only Dark Side Is panel in this book, and afterward, yep. Yep. Scott, you know, what does that even mean? I bet it doesn't mean anything. It just sounds cool.
1: That's the three of us talking about Tom King's Batman.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: it is. I mean, yeah. it's, you know. Yeah.
2: Um, But then the other thing is this idea that the anti-life equation is in Scott or that he thinks it is and he's like that plays into like the paranoia angle and and the idea that his like suicide attempt was his a uh, like subconscious attempt to get it out of him i think is like a really interesting idea
0: absolutely
2: and then that that last question where he's you know like talking to orion and he's like do you think it's in you too yeah i i just think it's like such a great use of that concept that's already really abstract to begin with um and just that whole scene that whole closing scene is just so good um, yeah this this issue really did it for me
1: yeah me too
2: yeah, I said
0: I think that, that that Granny Goodness Christmas story
1: was just a little bit too uh,
0: a little bit too on the nose for me. But other than that, I did really enjoy this issue, and I think that Garrod's is doing such great work.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: <sighs> um, yeah,
2: it's a dark read, though. It really is. It is. It's really dark.
0: Well, that brings us over to uh, New Superman number sixteen, uh, written by Gene Lewin Yang, illustrated by uh, Brent Peoples Peeples, Peoples right? Pe- peoples. Yeah. Uh, this Vince described this earlier as some next level shit, <laughs> and I think he's right about that. The oh, Vince, why don't, why don't you talk about this quickly?
1: I so the like first half of this comic is if you remember from the last time we talked about New Superman at the end of the issue he showed up in nineteen thirties DC Comics basically yeah with the racist uh, Chinese caricatures uh, with the big the awful big teeth and just you know the hor the horrible horrible racist image of uh, Chinese that were used in DC Comics back then like what was it, the very first issue of... Detective. Detec- Detective Comics, yes. I was going to say Action, but I know that that's not right. Um, yes. And uh, and I love that they went there because they take it head-on, you know, and they call it out for what it is. But I also can't believe... I kind of can't believe that they're showing it to you so starkly, you know? And Keenan like in... is, like,
0: is like, oh, they're demons. And then it's like, no, they're not. Look at the Actually look at them. And they're actual
2: people. Like it was, it was powerful. Yeah, yeah. And it's also like a pretty harsh takedown on the Slam Bradley character, who I feel like when he comes back is cute, <laughs> um, you know, very like fondly and nostalgically. You know, he'll show up in Superman every once in a while, and well, that was Batman, go- I guess. Um,
1: that was going to be my next point. Like when when Slam Bradley walked in, I was like, oh my god, they're going to do this. And I can't I almost can't believe that DC let Jean Yang do this. Like, take that character. But do you think that anybody at DC right now
0: cares about Slam Bradley?
1: I I just think that any comic book company tends to treat their um They they don't when do you see them take on the racism of the past like this? You know? When, I mean, when, the
0: reality is they should be doing
1: it more. They should be doing it more. But when they do it, they sweep stuff under the rug and replace it with stuff that's less racist. Like, that tends to be how it goes, you know? They pretend it doesn't happen, and they replace it with something that's not racist so that it's almost a misdirection, which is better than doing nothing, you know? But, like, this, like to, to see Slam Bradley come and for them to, like, face it and be like, no, no, wait a minute... <laughs> that stuff was actually really racist and it doesn't matter that it was a place in time. It doesn't change. I mean, it doesn't change how bad it was. And we're going to make, we're going to bring slam Bradley here and we're going to make him say and do these things all over again. We're not going to whitewash it. We're not going to try to pretend that we didn't, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I just thought it was crazy that they went there for literally like nine or 10 pages. Um and the and art was Peoples really good. People did a great job of of also like
0: bringing Keenan in, into that into that world, but then once he wakes up showing him like it was it was a nice juxtaposition of of Keenan's world slamming into this
1: world. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 first half really blew my mind. Oh, I loved it. Any other comments?
2: Um, I can definitely see how this, it feels like this issue is winding down to where their kind of like supposed first endpoint was, you know? Yeah. Um, but I'm glad it's not.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 15, written by Scott Lobdell, illustrated by Dexter Soy. We get the Detective Comics crew showing up here.
1: Don't you sure. people have detectiveing to do? <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, you know th- their reason for showing up is a little bit of a stretch here. <laughs> um, you know, but I thought it was a pretty fun issue.
2: Yeah, it was fine. It wasn't the, you know, maybe as good as the past couple of issues have been, but it was fine. Yeah,
0: this would have been the best issue of Red Hood and the Outlaws Volume One.
1: Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is still decent Love Dell, like I think he I think he writes all the guest characters pretty well yeah there was a particular line from uh, uh, Cass Kane that I particularly liked uh, hold on let me see if I can find it. Yeah, Cass. Are you reading lines with me or what? And she just says, "Or what?" Or which what? is not, yeah. which is not the most original thing in the world. But when you consider that she only says like one or two words at a time, like this, that pithy response from her, for whatever reason, it got to me. I chuckled. Yeah. Poor, um, poor clay face.
0: Yeah. Uh, next up is a waste of paper. Suicide Squad number twenty-seven, written <laughs> by Rob Williams, illustrated by Barnaby Begenda.
1: Oh, case, bar, bar, waste of Barnaby began to art.
0: Yes, absolutely. In case you guys forgot, Killer Croc throws up in space.
1: <laughs> also, Captain Boomerang shits without taking his boxer shorts down
0: <laughs> and, and while eating fried chicken.
1: Well, I do that.
2: <laughs>
1: that part's I mean, not weird. It's cool. And, it's cool who and normal. Um can I say a couple other things sure did we not just get an issue where it shows every character sitting around and doing the thing that they are known for doing like again we get a picture of deadshot looking at an image of deadshot looking at a picture of his daughter yeah. like did we not just see that 2 years ago or 2 issues ago 2 years ago feels like 2 years um like for for whatever reason Every couple issues, they need to remind everybody. And literally every single issue, they have to have a character say, we've got brain bombs in our heads and they're going to explode if we don't do it. Every issue, every single issue that was in the last issue it was in the issue before that. It's in every issue. Somebody has to remind us what the entire point of Suicide Squad has always been. And I don't know why. I'm not remotely interested in the squad's trust. They obey me or I blow their brain bombs. Yeah, no shit. Yeah. You say that every issue. It's... Oh, my God.
0: Has there ever been at least a less interesting or compelling coupling than Killer Croc and Enchantress?
1: Uh, yeah, Harley Quinn and Rick
0: Flag. Oh, boom. There you go. Okay.
1: <laughs> I
2: was pretty fond of, like... Harley Quinn and Rick Flag crashed S Dummy in this issue though.
1: Yeah. <laughs> See uh, now that's just twisted enough to work.
2: I know. Where's the where's the six issue mini?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Much like uh when there was that Harley and Ivy miniseries that took place between panels. Yeah. There will not day be this mini series. Yep. Um Yeah. Garbage comic. Uh, all right, Supergirl number fourteen, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by who did this issue? This was this was a nice issue.
1: Uh, Jose Luis.
0: Okay, Jose Luis. Yeah, um, I I enjoyed this quite a bit. I enjoyed I enjoyed me some Rocket Red. There was it was nice to see Keenan and Kara hang out together.
2: Um, yeah, I have no problem with this issue. Yeah, it was fun. The art was my... good. It was fun
1: this might have been my favorite issue of Supergirl yet because I've liked the series, but nothing's really knocked me out. Mm -hmm. But I really, I really dug Kara and Keenan bouncing around. uh, I mean, you are,
0: you are a huge Keenan mark.
1: I am. I, maybe that's it because I love new Superman. I, that's, I'm sure that factored in, but I love this. And I thought, uh, Jose Luis uh, art was pretty great, pretty fantastic stuff. Very pretty, 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 pretty. pretty, pretty, great.
2: pretty, pretty. What, what did you guys make of the that visual nod to All Star Superman oh, I, that I, kept I popping up? That. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I thought it was, um,
0: I thought it was just Orlando just inserting a little bit of uh, of like classic DC mythology into his Supergirl run yeah I, I, I don't read too much in terms of like what it means as part of the text I just think it right. was actually something he wanted to throw in there
1: did you see a deeper meaning there Zach
2: no no not really I was just interested to see what you guys thought about it
1: I just think Orlando really likes Grant Morrison yeah don't we all? Oh, if you if you know what's good for you.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's jump over to Superwoman number fifteen, written by Kate Perkins, illustrated by. Um, why is all are all of my copies taking forever to load
1: tonight? It's it's Sammy Basri of Sammy New, New Fifty Two uh, Voodoo Fam. Yes, that is true. Nobody stripped in this issue, though.
0: No, I I actually kind of like the
1: art in this issue. I like Sammy Basri
0: yeah I think it worked I I'm, cool. I'm still loving how this is like the uh, the goth, the uh, Metropolis book you know with all the with all the metropolis characters I mean in one scene we had Tracy 13 Maxima um Natasha and uh and Lana together
1: yeah and I and I do like that except I don't know if I really like this issue
0: what yeah. you about the issue
1: uh, it just I didn't give a crap about this Midnight like I liked the art and you're right I like these characters but I didn't give a shit about Midnight at all couldn't couldn't get me to care I guess I'm so invested
0: in the Lana story at this point that it didn't really bother me hmm.
1: that's yeah, right I, I, I checked out halfway through.
2: Yeah, I, I think I pretty much checked out of this book after um, him and has left. It's still fine, but it's it's just not what it was. We have a bet going on this, don't forget.
1: What was that again?
2: It's I have to go
0: back and listen to it, but it's something along the lines of, like, Zack said that the book is going to end with with Lana totally depowered and then we made bets on a side bet on if if uh how many appearances she would make in her first year like oh. sub- substantial appearances not not like showing up in the background and they be like a substantial appearance
1: and what did i say two or less
0: I want to say one of us took two I or less i think i was one.
2: the most i said the most
0: no i think you said she was going to be not not
2: it at all I now, said zero. I'm pretty sure I said that she was gonna be. I thought. I think it's the other way. I thought I, I said that she was gonna be around a lot. I God. said well, yes. You're okay.
1: right. I I said zero. Brian, I think you said two or three. I said
2: like two or three.
0: Yeah.
1: Zach said the most. That's okay. how it was.
0: Yeah.
1: but well, we'll see. Well, the books. I, get, the book's gotta end first, right? Yes. Yes. I hope. Although, if, I hope if the book ends, Kay Perkins sticks around on something, but. Uh, yeah, I just don't. I don't know about this right now.
0: I want her over on Action Comics.
1: Sure, it.
0: sure, yeah. Move these characters over to Action.
1: After Jurgens rightfully gets to bring back absolutely everything he's ever done for Action One Thousand, and do it all over again, right?
0: <laughs> what hasn't he brought back yet? Connor Cat. <laughs> yeah, who's coming back? Literally all four Ray of the Superman characters are going to be back,
1: and Juergens is going to write it. Yep. What if he comes back in Action 1000 and he brings Superman's red trunks with him?
2: <laughs> here, here, put these on.
1: <laughs> yeah, here, hey, kid, catch. <laughs> and the, the undies hit him right in the face. Hey, thank, thanks. Th- thanks, Mean Joe. Yeah.
0: Alright, let's get to Wonder Woman number... Is this 32. Thirty two. I'm thrown off. I I kept I kept feeling like Robinson was coming in at thirty, but he came in at thirty-one, which is a weird place to like come in, you know, from a numerical standpoint. But uh written by James Robinson, illustrated by Sergio Davila. And this issue certainly was more Diana focused than the first issue of the arc. Um What'd you guys think?
1: It was, but that didn't make it better. Where did Sergio Davila come from? <laughs> I don't know. Why?
2: I, yeah, I don't know either.
0: It's weird to have a fill-in on the second artist, the second
1: issue. It wasn't great.
2: Um, oh, you don't like him?
1: No, I didn't like this. Not this issue, anyway.
2: The art, you mean, or
1: the art? Oh, I thought, the... They, mm. I thought the art
2: was fine. Thought it
0: was okay. Mm. I think I'm falling in between you guys on this one.
2: Uh, I I'm I liked this issue until like the last couple pages, <laughs> and then just like what?
0: And Jason's like,
2: sis. Oh, yeah, it, was it was just weird. It was a weird ending.
1: It, it I don't know if I liked this at all. I uh first of all, yeah, there was more. Di- it was more Diana centric, but like. They had to throw in a bunch of cheesy jokes about, like, oh, uh, I'm the damsel in distress, says Steve, which is true. He is. I mean, in Wonder Woman's history, he is. But, like, hanging a lampshade on it at this point is, like, oh, it's so clever when, like, clearly that is, that's what Steve's meant to, to be, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't find it funny to, like, hang a lampshade on that. And uh, I, I don't know, like it just it, it came off as like, oh, look how clever we're being when like no, that's just what Steve is. He's supposed to be the one that Wonder Woman saves. Um, it's been like that since Wonder Woman, the dawn of Wonder Woman, you know. So I just feel like that joke's been made so many times before that it's not clever. And I don't th- I think a lot of this is like, Diana wandering around having stuff explained to her and just accepting it and I don't know the pacing was really weird and the letter that J- Jason wrote was really weird You mean the letter <laughs> and,
0: that Hercules wrote?
1: Or was it Hercules? I don't yeah. I don't even Okay, I don't I don't even remember but um Yes, Hercules. It was weird. Yeah, just I don't know. I didn't like this.
2: Zach, what did you think? I mean, I thought I thought it was mostly fine until that like kind of ending sequence of Diana and Jason just meeting. Um, I actually thought I, I actually thought the like stuff with Hercules writing the letter to Diana was fine um i I thought this issue was fine
0: I I think as I seem to be tonight for the most part I'm falling somewhere in between you guys I think there were parts of this that were good I um I do think that a lot of this was written with people who have seen the movie in mind uh there's a number of like movie tropes in there from there's the, the like,
2: Scottish.
0: Yeah, guy. and Chief was there, too. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's that. And uh, I I like Wonder Woman putting together, like, that this was Grail without somebody having to explain it to her. I feel like so many times in Wonder Woman books, like you were saying, Vince, just like, you know, it people just don't respect the character's intelligence enough. And so I like the fact that she figured it out for herself. But overall, this issue felt a little bit slight and just didn't feel... I don't know. I was hoping for a very, very epic run out of Robinson. And so far, it doesn't feel that epic to me. Yeah. Yeah. Who uh, who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Well, let's take another quick break. We'll be back in just a second to discuss the next three issues of Legion Lost. Hi, I'm Paul, the host of the Comic Syllabus Podcast, a weekly show on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. We read widely and we dig deep, bringing different analytical approaches to our study and appreciation of the wide variety of comics out there. Along with comics teachers, critics, and creators, we do close readings of classic and current exemplars of the medium. And we invite you to join us every Tuesday here at MultiversityComics.com. So let's dig deep.
2: All right, guys. Welcome back to week three of our retro read through of Legion Lost, the two thousand ish miniseries by Andy Lanning and Dan Abnett, illustrated by Oliver Coipel and Alyssy Pascal. Pascal, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, I had an interesting point in this week's read through. Um, where i thought that i really wasn't gonna like this series i thought that it wasn't really doing anything all that interesting um it wasn't topping what has like previously been like one of my favorite legion stories which is that um that jeff johns gary frank action comics arc um but then there's a twist that happens i think in issue eight i'm pretty sure
0: uh-huh. Was that the Legion found issue? Yes. Yeah.
2: That yeah. made me a lot more interested in where this series is going and what it's doing. I presume you mean the, the Saturn Girl reveal. Yes, the Saturn Girl reveal. Um, so, yeah. So, in in issue seven, I think it is, the the issue ends with four um other legionnaires popping up um one of them being element lad who was believed to be dead um or it was at least missing um show up and seem to offer you know like salvation for the for the lost legionnaires you know a a kind of like line home and it it all just seemed kind of like convenient and contrived and really took a lot of the tension out of the book um but then you find out in Issue 8 that not only were they a projection of the kind of ailing Saturn girl, um, also Phantom Girl has been a projection this entire time. Hasn't hasn't been there. Yeah. Um, which was a pretty, I thought, a pretty surprising twist.
0: Yeah, I, I knew something was up that it wasn't the actual Legion I feel like because of the way Brainiac was responding and the certain bits of the story that weren't really making sense, I I, I was like, oh, okay, I see see this isn't going to be... There's going to be a twist here. I did not see the twist that it actually wound up being, though.
1: Yeah, I think we've all, like, read so many comic books to this point that you, you can kind of spot those red herrings... When they're coming, mm-hmm. but uh, but nonetheless, it, it it was no less effective as a storytelling beat.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of that stuff, though, I think, and maybe this is just me being like a cynical comic fan. Like I've read enough not great stories to be like some of those, you know, weirder plot elements. Like, oh, I went back through the dimensional portal and it de-aged me and who cares if that doesn't make sense <laughs> and, you know <laughs> right, like yeah like you've only got 12 issues to tell a story so sometimes you've got to cut some corners to get that story told and i thought well okay this is the story that we're telling i don't love it that's not very interesting um but then you know i felt bad a little bit for doubting abnett and landing here because <laughs> um, they ended up doing something pretty pretty cool and and Taking the story in a direction I didn't really expect.
1: Yeah, and and there, man, there are a lot of big ideas here. Like I've read, I've read lesser Legion stories where they just they do such boring, routine things with these characters, you know. And I feel like Abnett and Lanning are really pushing the bounds of like almost linear storytelling here. There's almost like a space madness vibe to yep. them sitting around being lost. And it's it's not that they're going mad, but it's that like It's brainiac well, building that machine that does nothing. Yeah. And all yeah. this all this weird stuff going on around them that feels like it it's taking them further and further away from ever finding their way home, you know? Not in a literal sense, but even in like an emotional and uh, metaphysical sense, you know, mm-hmm. like things are happening that they're almost losing the plot of what their goals are at times, and that and that's a, that's a big idea that comics doesn't all always wrestle with, right? And I love that about this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I... Go ahead, Zach. No, you you go ahead.
0: I was gonna say I you know I was. I was excited to read this book because I'm, I'm excited to, I don't want to say, see what all the Legion fuss is about, but I, I have I have never read a Legion story that I truly loved before. So I was excited from this for this book for like a uh, like a, a historical reason like, you know, just to understand more but I found myself enjoying each issue quite a bit and the last like four issues I have really enjoyed especially though that issue eight where you find out about the projections from saturn girl that was i did not see that coming in the slightest it was it was a magnificent piece of story telling and uh i'm am, i'm am very very excited to, to finish the series next week
2: yeah and i i wanted to say that with the the progeny like the the wave of ships coming on i see the kind of um prototype for what um well, I guess it was it was Giffen who went on and did the, you know, Annihilation story that Abnett then picked up mm-hmm. um, afterward. But it's just interesting. I, I, I mean, I guess that's not necessarily a particularly innovative sci-fi trope, but I, I just think the connection is interesting there.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I feel like the pascal Elixir. is that how are pronouncing it mm-hmm. uh his oh yeah art... i said it
2: backwards didn't i <laughs> oh well uh I, I might
0: be saying it backwards i'm not sure. No, I,
2: you're right it is pascal Elixir. okay yeah
0: um i feel like that his art was in that in that ninth issue or eighth ninth issue yeah is uh like saturn girl's chest is gigantic it's, it's very like it's very 90s proportions and facial expressions. Like, I feel like that was... the. I mean, the Koy Pell stuff is not exactly cutting edge in that way, but I feel like that issue was really over the top with, like, 90s visual tropes. Right.
2: Yeah, in multiple pages as well. It was pretty distracting.
0: Not that the art was bad overall. It was just that that, that, that element could have been toned down a bit.
1: Yeah, there's, a, there's an aesthetic that for sure is of a time and place. That's very identifiable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to wrap this series up. What
2: about, what about you guys? Yeah. I'm like really excited to see kind of where it goes. Um, because I mean, I kind of already know, I don't know how the story ends. I know sort of like what comes next. So I'm interested to see how it gets there. But, um, yeah this has been really enjoyable
1: it makes me want to uh, it makes me want to read the rest of their Legion stuff because if it's if it's as high minded as this then uh, yeah I mean
2: agreed yeah I do know that in the the run that follows this there's a um, a new God story Mm. really yeah I'm interested to check out oh man
0: That does sound good.
1: Yeah, I'm down. I'm down to clown.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that run is like 30-something issues, so...
1: That's not, that's not a terrible... Uh... We, we won't be doing it for the show, but... Yeah, uh... we
2: won't be covering it in a month, but it might be fun to revisit someday in some capacity. Yeah. Or we can just talk about it ourselves.
0: Yeah, that's true as well. <laughs> well that does it for our show this week thanks for listening as always you can find us on twitter i am at brian is an app i'm at vj
1: underscore o-s-t-r-o-w-s-k-i and i'm at sirfox89
0: and we'll be back at you next week with another show so uh thanks for listening
1: and good night enjoy your funny books thanks mike romeo <laughs> i like when he says that and me too yeah
2: You guys care so much more than I do about some of these books.